Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 55, Napoleon on the Run. Last week, we saw Napoleon invade Russia, occupying the old capital of Moscow. Alexander I stood steadfast in his refusal to capitulate or fight a major battle, causing Napoleon to retreat ahead of the oncoming brutal Russian winter. The Empress Elizabeth, firm in her support of her husband, became the ultimate generous supporter of the people, donating her entire year's budget to helping everyone who needed it. Alexander was beginning to gain support when it became apparent that the French had no choice but to abandon their invasion effort and head home. Napoleon now knew he had made a huge mistake with his invasion of Russia. Ego trumped sound military decisions, and now his men would pay the price. They were to pay an enormous price this winter, as it would be a particularly brutal one. Word came that the old fox, Kutuzov, had held his army back, resting them, waiting for an opportunity to attack. But instead of a full-fledged battle, the wily Russian general chose to harass Napoleon instead of giving him an opportunity to gain a victory to embolden his troops. Kutuzov's plan was to be one of attrition and all on the side of the Grand Armée. He wanted to evict Napoleon without causing any more Russian casualties. The now old man cared about his troops. Alexander, on the other hand, wanted revenge while his general wanted to save lives. Kutuzov had angry insults heaped on him, but he stayed the course. And the winter that came was brutal. Men and horses died left and right on the French side. So by December 14th, the invaders crossed the Neman River and left Russian soil. The Rubicon crossing had been reversed. Now the Russians pursued the French. But Kutuzov wanted to let the Prussians, Austrians, and British mop things up, but not Alexander. And to his credit, he decided against following his general's advice and pressed on. He continually attacked until on March 21, 1814, he rode triumphantly into Paris. It may have ended very differently had Alexander not chosen to pursue Napoleon, as the French emperor had won a series of major battles against the Allies in his retreat, making them think of suing for peace. But the Russian Tsar was steadfast in his need to revenge the destruction of Smolensk and Moscow. And it was at this time that Alexander had a personality shift and became more mystic and religious. As he put it, the fires of Moscow lit up my soul. I came to know God and became another man. Alexander, with the defeat of Napoleon, believed himself to be the head of a Christian coalition to change European society. In Russia, Alexander came under the influence of a self-proclaimed mystic, one Prince Alexander Golitsyn. The prince was convinced that all knowledge came from the Bible and convinced the Tsar of such. Named to become the head of the Holy Synod of the Russian Orthodox Church, as well as Minister of Education, he began a reversal of the reforms of the past, going back to the time before Peter the Great. Books were burned, students were harassed into using only the Bible as a source of truth, 
and spies were enlisted to ferret out any dissenters. Whereas Alexander could have chosen to continue to take advantage of his enormous popularity throughout Russia and Europe and reform his country, he chose instead to squander it all in a major reactionary reversal of his previous reforms. The decision to turn his back on the Greek revolt against the Ottomans stunned his European counterparts, especially those who were part of his Christian coalition. In 1821, Prince Alexander Ypsilanti, who had served the Russians in the Russo-Turkish War, led a Greek revolt against the Ottomans, who had recently hung the Patriarch of Constantinople in revenge for an earlier incident. Protests cropped up all over Russia, demanding retribution. But Alexander did nothing. The justification he gave was baffling in light of his creation of the Christian coalition. Why would he deny help to his Orthodox brethren? This is one of those enigmatic moments that historians spend years studying and debating. Alexander was well within his rights to stop the atrocities being perpetrated on innocent women and children per the Treaty of 1774 signed between the Russians and the Turks. On top of that, a war with the Turks would have given Russia a chance to retake Constantinople, free millions of Christians from Turkish control, and likely would have prevented the disastrous Crimean War, which would have saved the reign of his brother, Nicholas I. He chose instead to support the Sultan, because he was an autocrat, and in his country, whatever he said goes, and the insurgents were showing their autocrat disrespect. This blitheringly stupid move showed how incapable the Romanov Tsars were to become following the Catherine the Great's reign. But even more damaging to Alexander's reputation was his appointment of Alexander Arakcheyev as Minister of War. This deeply despised man enacted numerous reactionary policies. He fueled a certain paranoia in Alexander, creating plots that did not exist and conspiracies that were baseless. Alexander, for his part, drew himself deeper and deeper into his own world of mysticism, and some say even the occult. Had the Tsar fought for the Greek insurgents and overthrown the Turkish control of Greece and parts of what is now Turkey, along with keeping his reforms intact, history would have had to talk about two Alexander the Greats, and the Russians would have had their fifth ruler with the acronym GREAT following their names. Tsar Alexander could have joined Vladimir, Ivan, Peter, and Catherine. Instead, we are left stumped with a man who snatched mediocrity forcefully from the jaws of greatness. His refusal to help the Greeks to instead support a fellow autocrat puts Alexander way down the list of Russian rulers in my eyes, despite his heroic decisions that led to the defeat of Napoleon. And many contemporaries and historians see things much the same. So Alexander, by this time, was 48 years old and had ruled Russia for good and for bad for 24 years. In those years, he and his wife had no male heirs, which meant Constantine, his younger brother, was next in line. Problem was, he didn't want to be Tsar. Now, to further muddle things up, neither did Alexander. 
The guilt of his father's murder preceding his ascension to the throne, followed by his abandonment of his Greek brethren, along with his reactionary policy reversals, caused Alexander to discuss abdicating the throne in favor of not his brother Constantine, but his youngest brother, Nicholas. Paperwork was drawn up to change the secession order, as Paul had been adamant about the law of primogeniture, so this had to be handled carefully. Constantine signed a paper removing himself from the line, allowing Nicholas to become the heir. Puzzlingly, only a few people knew of this decision. This was to cause an uprising to occur which was to stain Nicholas's reign, known as the Decemberist Revolt. While Alexander was traveling near Taganrog, near the Sea of Azov, the Tsar supposedly died of cholera on November 28, 1825. The reason I say supposedly is that the only person who saw his body in the coffin was his wife, the Empress Elizabeth, who was to die soon thereafter. Many believe that Alexander had had enough of ruling Russia and had taken the cloth to become the monk known as Fyodor Kuzmich, who was found eleven years later in the town of Tomsk, Siberia, without any papers. Many, including Leo Tolstoy, firmly believed the story. Now to further deepen the mystery, when Soviet authorities opened Alexander's coffin in the 20th century to loot the treasures they thought were inside, there was no body. The sudden death caused a crisis within the government, as few knew about the new arrangement. Another major problem brewing was the return of all the officers from Western Europe we were able to see the differences between autocratic to a fault Russia and the much more liberal West. Externally, Russia was basking in the glory of its defeat of the powerful French, while internally it was by far the most backward of the European powers. The dissident issue within Russia was totally ignored, but unfortunately for the Romanovs, the genie was out of the bottle. The people began to understand how bad their lives were, as they now had something to compare it to. The funeral of Alexander took place on March 18, 1826, followed months later on May 16 by the death of his wife Elizabeth, the former Louise of Baden. Only two years later, Alexander's mother Maria died as well. A man described as a chameleon, bipolar or sphinx, Alexander I, also known as Alexander Blagoslovenia, or Alexander the Blessed, was dead. Join me next week as we follow the life of Nicholas I, whose reign begins with a hail of bullets and ends with the devastating military defeat of the Russian army and the Crimean War. Now, for this week in Russian history, for the week of July 3rd through the 9th. In 1579, Our Lady of Hazan, a holy icon of the Russian Orthodox Church is discovered underground in the city of Kazan, Tartistan. In 1610, we have the Battle of Klushino between forces of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth and Russia during the Polish-Muscovite War. In 1704, Sofia Alexievna, regent of Russia, half-sister of Peter the Great, died. In 1709, in the Great Northern War, we have the Battle of Poltava. Peter I of Russia defeats Charles XII of Sweden 
thus effectively ending Sweden's role as a major power in Europe. In 1770, the Battle of Larga between the Russian Empire and the Ottoman Empire takes place. In 1790, the Russo-Swedish War, we have the Second Battle of Svenskund in the Baltic Sea as the Swedish Navy captures one-third of the Russian fleet. In 1807, we had the Peace of Tilsit between France, Prussia, and Russia, which ended the Fourth Coalition. In 1887, Marc Chagall, the Russian painter, is born. In 1917, Prince Georgi Yevgenievich Livov performs a, forms a provisional government in Russia after disposing, deposing of Tsar Nicholas I. In 1918, the Bolsheviks killed Tsar Nicholas II of Russia and his entire family. In 1944, we have the Battle of Tali in Haltala. Finland wins the battle, the largest battle ever fought, fought in Northern Europe. The Red Army withdraws its troops and digs into a defensive position, thus ending the Vyborg Petrozavdovsk offensive. And in 1960, Francis Gary Powers is charged with espionage, resulting from his flight over the Soviet Union. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to join us on Facebook on the Russian Rulers History Podcast Group, where you can ask a question, leave a comment, or make a suggestion. And now, as always, до свидания и спасибо большое.